0: Alright, how's it going, uh, New Hope, and, and anyone else that's uh, not connected to, to New Hope Church in Portland, Oregon that's listening to this, uh, this is a podcast that's supporting uh, one of our, our series uh, on emotions, uh, the emotions of God is what we're calling it. It's based off a book by scholar David Lamb, and we are looking at the, uh, the seven prime emotions of God, uh, and that's an interesting topic for a lot of people and so on Sundays, if you've been following along and you can find those messages on the New Hope website, we spend the majority of our time talking about uh, the particular emotions of God as revealed in Scripture, emotions such as uh, hate and anger and sadness and jealousy and joy and compassion and love, And uh, but obviously as we were putting this series together, we uh, we knew that as we explored the emotions of God, uh, we needed to also talk about our emotions as humans who are made in God's image. And one of the contentions we're making with this series, whether you agree with it or not, is that oftentimes we ascribe our emotions to God. So we form God in our own image, which is dangerous and probably not the direction we want to go. So we're arguing that as we understand how God properly exhibits these emotions in a healthy way, uh, we are to learn from God how we can get emotional in a healthy way. So as we see God exercise properly the emotion of anger or sadness or compassion or joy, uh, it serves as an example uh, for us, those who are made in God's image, to properly exhibit the emotions in the same way as empowered by God's Spirit. So uh, we we don't have enough time on a Sunday morning to explore uh, the emotions of God as it relates to sadness, and then go into another. I mean, sermons are long enough already to go into another hour on how sadness manifests in humanity and how we exercise it in a healthy way and an unhealthy way. So uh, we wanted to have a podcast to support the series uh, that while we will touch on the emotions of God in this. Podcasts. We also we want to focus primarily on the emotions of humans, and so uh, we wanted to get some Jesus-following therapist. Uh, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I'm in therapy myself. I will always be in therapy because I'm kind of a hot mess, and I need I need a village. Uh, so I love therapy. I think everybody should be in therapy, uh, at least on and off. And so we wanted to get some Jesus following therapists uh, because we want to be really careful at New Hope to stay in our lanes. Uh, I barely know enough to know what to say about the Bible. Uh, I am not a therapist. I'm not a professional in that world. Uh, So we want to bring in people who are professionals uh, to talk about these things. So uh, we will have a a couple different conversations with different therapists who all follow Jesus, who live locally in the Portland area. Our first guest is uh, Tristan Collins. Uh, so Tristan's a new friend. Tristan, we know a lot of the same people. And so uh, it's really great to meet you today. Uh, I look forward, I hope this will be the beginning of a new friendship and partnership in ministry. Uh, someone uh, recommended uh, your new book, and we'll be talking about that a good bit in our conversation today uh, that you wrote uh, along with your husband. Jonathan called Why Emotions Matter. So I had a, uh, somebody on our staff say, Oh, you got to, I just grabbed this book. You got to get it. It's really great. I concur. I think Thank it's you. wonderful. I'm really enjoying uh, reading it. So we'll, we will dig into this. Uh, we'll go all over the place. Uh, so buckle up. Uh, but first, uh, for, for our audience, can you just give us a, a brief introduction? Kind of who are you?
1: Who am I? Well, I was born and raised in Southern California. And I'm fourth generation Japanese American, and my parents became Christ followers before I was born, so I was raised in Christian culture. And um, but I was also, you know, in public school and living in, you know, just a beautiful one of the places that most people want to move to, where there's movie stars and, mm. you know, things like that. So um, yeah, that environment also shaped me too. And then I ended up moving to rainy Portland, Oregon, Mm. uh, because uh, God just changed um, my priorities. And I heard about the school called Multnomah, and they studied the Bible. And I just realized, you know, that needs to be more um, important in my life. And so I decided to go to Multnomah for a year, ended up staying for four. Mm. (laughs) And then through that process, I learned that I also really love psychology and there's a lot of overlap of psychology and theology and I ended up um, going to graduate school meeting my husband and now I've lived longer in Portland than I have in Southern California so I don't know where I'm native to now but
0: (laughs) yeah that's 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 really helpful context did you uh, when I was a kid I uh I mean, when you're a kid, you, you dream of being a lot of different things. I think I think for a number of years, I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, and uh, so did you, uh, Did you, as a young kid, kind of, I I just want to be a therapist. That's just, mm. that's my, that's my dream. Or like, I'm guessing no, but like, yeah. where along the journey, you said you <laughs> fell in love with psychology. Shift? Yeah. Where did you kind of say, hey, I think this is, this is the call upon my life. And yeah. uh, I've got, I've got some passions here and some interests. What, what was that journey like?
1: Uh, well, it's interesting just thinking about when you're really young. I think I the thing I thought is I want to be a mom. Mm. And then it kind of worried me as I got older is like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to make money? And um, I just I think I just, you know, through the process of education, um, I think through learning different things, you start to learn what you're interested in. And the common theme that I noticed that I'm interested in is Studying humans, like, why do people do what they do? Mm. And it was in college that I started to realize that the classes that I was most interested in were the psychology classes. And I think it really helped me to understand, you know, pain more and especially emotional pain. And, you know, what do we do with that? And why do we get drawn towards addiction and divorce? And, you know, nothing's a clear formula. But the field of psychology does a great job in trying to explore the complexity of being a
0: human. Yeah. You, uh, in your book, I really appreciated how you, uh, you interspersed the chapters with stories. A lot of it, stories, uh, of your husband, Jonathan. And, um, again, don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, mm-hmm. but in, in my, in my journey, uh, I think being in a marriage, you know, like Mm -hmm. you know, you're just kind of marriage is hard. It's difficult, and you know, everybody maybe has a honeymoon period. I don't know that my wife and I had a long honeymoon period. (laughs) You're just right, you know, we got some strong personalities, and you're Mm -hmm. you're living with these other people that. As followers of Jesus, we we know that we're all broken and and uh, and we've got stuff and we bring stuff into it. Fa- family of origin. So you're kind of mm-hmm. not that I avoided it in my life, but like you know, you're like locked into this relationship, in this covenant mm-hmm. relationship, in this you know, our first apartment was you know, five hundred square feet. Like there's mm-hmm. nowhere to go, and you're just like, okay, who are you, human? And yeah. it really presses. It seemed like that was also a piece of your journey that you both talked about in the book, which I really appreciated the vulnerability. Mm. It made me feel. Better about myself (laughs) that I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, what? Where? Where along the line? You know, you got into therapy. You're licensed therapist. You're doing this thing, uh, and you say, "Hey, I want to write a book on emotions." I mean, I Mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't Googled on Amazon emotions and seen how many books came up. I would imagine there's Mm -hmm. there's a good amount, you know, on Mm -hmm. emotions. Um, You're Jesus follower. You're involved in local church. You're you're involved in therapy. the book's called Why Emotions Matter. Where did that idea come from? What, what was that journey of writing a book like?
1: Well, it's definitely a journey. Um, yeah, I would say that John and I, very early in our marriage, our conflicts were often around me being more emotional and mm-hmm. him being more of a thinker. So, you know, back when we first got married, the popular uh, personality assessment was the Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so John would identify more as that thinker, and I would identify more as a feeler. And so what we found is neither one of us actually did a great job in knowing how to actually manage our emotions. We both tended to fault on, um, you know, John seeing no like not really seeing any value in emotions. And then for me, I think I just thought if I feel something, and whatever automatic thought I have or behavior that's associated with it, like that's what I'm supposed to do. And I think neither one of us really understood that emotions are something that should invite you into being more self-reflective and really trying to evaluate what is it trying to signal to me. And um, so, you know, in the process of of graduate school, um, I just remember thinking about the metaphor of a dashboard of a car, and realizing that, you know, when we look at a dashboard of a car, it gives us at a glance information about what's going on in our car. And I realize that's also the value of emotions, that at a glance, you know, we don't necessarily know why we feel what we do. But it's often trying to just alert us to pay attention. There's something going on. And um, I think oftentimes there's confusion, though, that we conflate and mesh together behaviors and emotions thoughts and emotions and so it becomes you know anger is bad because when I think of anger I think of hitting
0: Mm.
1: or um, you know anxiety is bad because I think of somebody just ruminating over something over and over again instead of the feeling itself isn't necessarily right or wrong but it's an invitation to get curious and to see you know what's under the surface what's what are the dynamics happening here Mm-hmm. And there's so much that happens under the surface of what our conscious awareness is. And I think that's the beauty of emotions.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think I, if I'm remembering correctly in the book, uh, John called himself a brain on a stick. Yeah, uh, that's kind of how he how he and I, I appreciate that. I chuckled uh, <laughs> when I when I uh, and I think we can all relate to that. Um, you know, in the intro to the series, we talked a good a bit about emotions and, you know, digging into it some and correct me if anything I say is, is wrong or, or anything. But I, uh, it seems like there's a range, right? Like we, we, and we go from shockingly, right? We go from one extreme to the other almost everything in our society. Mm. And it seems like there, there are people, family of origin or personality wise uh, or culturally, that grew up very cerebral, you know, mm-hmm. keeping their emotions in check, or maybe their families told them they should. You know, I joked in that sermon about, you know, the Scandinavian mindset, you know, that, that permeates this country, uh, mm. you know, the, the immigrant mindset. And the, the joke I heard was the Scandinavian husband who loved his wife so much he almost told her, <laughs> you know. So it's that, that kind of idea, whether we're Scandinavian or not, that idea I think has heavy prominence in our country, and and stoicism, you know, going all the way back to the Greeks and the Romans, it was seen as strength to withhold your emotions, mm-hmm. and not, and then you know, we we rightly should, I think, press back against that. I don't think that that's healthy, but then you can go to the other extreme where emotions are unchecked, or mm-hmm. as I argued, you you literally find your identity in what you're feeling. Yes. That what, what I'm feeling right now is total truth and you have to agree with it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it changes. And now this is total truth. And this is yes. and so somewhere in the you know in this series is we're trying to like orient ourselves. We're trying to orient ourselves around how God shows those emotions. I mean I I mm-hmm. theologically prior to the series would have said, of course God has emotions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think I've been really shocked and surprised as I've gotten to the text again looking for that. Uh, how truly emotional God is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, it's actually encouraged me. Like, mm-hmm. like we need to get more emotional, but we need to do it in a way that's spirit driven mm-hmm. and healthy and wise mm-hmm. and uh, all this kind of things. So, yeah, I really appreciated both of you talking about your differences because I think a lot of people will relate. One of the surprises when I started, you know, Google googling emotions to try to get my mind around it was that in the philosophical world and the psychological world. People struggle to define it hmm uh, and very I, was, true. I was I was like shocked to, like and I got yes. I kind of did a, a rabbit hole i like <laughs> there's got to be a definition and, and you know I, I, I the deeper I got there is no definition they said mm-hmm. the one thing in that field that people agree on is that there's no definition yes and so I was like okay because I always like as you know always like to start our series or any sermon like this is what the word means and mm-hmm. you know, that's the way my mind works and so mm-hmm. I was like oh I'm not going to be able to do that like yep. that, that's a difficult thing that is true how would I really you you threw you threw out that idea of the dashboard i really appreciated that when i read it in your book it was so simple but i was like yes um we referenced the the movie uh, inside out you know at the mm-hmm. beginning of the series that you know it's a different motif that they use kind of entering the head mm-hmm. of riley the 11 year old girl but the dashboard thing i was like yeah yeah uh, can you if you, do you have a working definition of emotions, like if somebody mm-hmm. were to stop you in the street and mm-hmm. you know pin you down, say look, what? How would you define emotions? What would that be? And can you talk more about that dashboard idea? How does mm-hmm. that enter into our interpersonal relationships, um, both um, as we reflect on our own emotions and use that as dashboard, but also as we look to others? And mm-hmm. we're kind of, like, dashboarding them. Maybe that's unsafe to do. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. that's not wise. Mm-hmm. But kind of like, oh, I see anger in my wife, you know. I, I should mm-hmm. be alerted to that and not, you know, just like, okay, see you later, honey. <laughs> I don't know. Anywhere yes. you want to go with that. I know there's all a right. lot there. But, like, I'm trying to get kind of nailed down emotions when people think about it. And maybe it's an impossible task. But can you help us at all?
1: Yes. I think oh, I've been really helped by a neuros- neuroscientist, Lisa Barrett Fieldman. She wrote – um how emotions are made, and uh, I think what was helpful is she, you know, also found that even researchers themselves um, interchangeably use the word affect and emotions. But she found that it's really helpful to stay with the word affect is the way to describe what's happening in your body as either you know pleasurable or painful, or you're calm or you're activated, and so it's pretty simple. Do I feel good or bad? Hmm. And then emotions is the language that we use to give more meaning to that. Hmm. And so emotions are definitely based on your culture, um, right? So in some cultures, you'll say sad, and they'll have a different framework for that. Um, But also what she's found is even in, in individual people, how people express emotions show up differently. And there isn't in, in her framework, there isn't like a fingerprint of this is exactly the way sadness shows up in people, or this is exactly the way that anger shows up. And so I think it's very helpful is because again, I does I do think that sparks that curiosity of instead of assuming I know what you're feeling, but to really say, you know, what is that like for you? And to get curious about, yeah, what does sadness feel like for you? What does anger feel like for you? And um So I think in some ways, um, the dashboard is helpful. um, But where it breaks down is that signals are a little bit more clear at times. um, Where I think, you know, feelings in some ways is sort of like colors. There's so many different um, spectrums and hues. But at the same time, we can kind of describe, you know, sadness might look more like blue to us. Mm -hmm. um, Or anger might feel more like red. um, And there's all the shades in between.
0: So you you would differentiate and Lisa would differentiate between feelings and emotions. It's, it's a, they're connected but different, is that what I'm hearing? Oh,
1: sorry, so affect meaning more um, describing your body sensations, okay. and then feelings and emotions is more interchangeable,
0: okay. Got it.
1: and that would be more um, descriptive, and so you could have um, so many different ways that you describe feeling bad hmm. as, you know, instead of just I feel bad today, to really elaborate, you know, I feel maybe hangry, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the combination of feeling hungry and irritable. Right. Um, and she really emphasizes that um, emotions really help us to understand what our body needs. And she has this metaphor of like a body budget and that um, emotions are just to help us to pay attention to our body and what mm-hmm. it needs. And I've definitely found that, you know, I'm sure you've heard the word embodied spirituality a lot. And for me, what I've seen as that is just recognizing that we have a body and that God gave us a body, that it's valuable. And I do think that part of our culture has, especially since, um, you know, the Stoics and Descartes thinking that we're just a head on a stick. Instead of that God created us um, with a body just like Jesus and that emotions help us to pay attention to our body. And I think that's just been really interesting to me, is that emotions aren't something that are just, you know, out in the clouds, this abstract concept, but emotions actually ground us in understanding and paying attention to our body and what it needs.
0: Yeah, that's, that's helpful. I, a couple things I want to dig deeper on, uh, as you may or may not be aware, I mean, one of the one of the primary early church heresies was around Gnosticism. Mm. And so that's a weird word and people misuse it in a lot of ways. Uh, But generally, um, and and we think it, Maybe manifest in the second century, but was was present in maybe some of Paul's letters as he's interacting. But essentially, uh, it, it's the idea that body's bad, body's evil, mm-hmm. um, and we need and spirit's good, mm-hmm. and we need to escape our bodies. And yes. it led to heresies about Jesus, and and but I think it also led to a very, the potential for a very disembodied spirituality. And yeah. it's interesting because I think that, I think that I totally concur with you in my in my experience in pastoring and in following Jesus in our kind of for lack of a better term, evangelical ilk of churches, that it's a very disembodied experience sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then when you bring the body in, a lot of times it's around shame, mm-hmm. it's around guilt and it's around yes. punishment and trauma and it's usually negative. It's not it's not positive. And so to you know, I think the our brothers and sisters who are Catholic or Orthodox traditionally incorporate the body a lot more into their worship
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: in their experience on on Sundays even at New Hope people that go there know we're trying some of those things I think we're trying to reintroduce uh bodily things and not bifurcate
1: mm-hmm. and say
0: this is separate but we are we are together so I really appreciate that what I hear you here's a couple of things that I hear you saying and tell me if I'm hearing mm-hmm. um incorrectly but as we approach um We should give up trying to define emotions, (laughs) but as we approach it, um, we should be careful not to caricature emotions. That Mm. that it can be a complex array depending on the person Mm -hmm. and depending on their culture. Is that accurate?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, and there's definitely studies that show how, oftentimes, you know, when we prescribe emotions um, Mm -hmm. to other people. so there was like this was one study that showed that judges, when they were hungry, were more likely to, to think that uh, people were guilty, but they were, um, you know, projecting their body sensations and that negative body sensation that's coming from their body was actually they're projecting on somebody else. Hmm. And so, yeah, you don't want to be in court <laughs> having a judge decide right before lunchtime. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but things like that. Um, so I guess when it comes to emotions, I think understand that it's giving you information about your body and then getting curious about that.
0: I think, yeah. I mean that's just me personally. I don't know how people respond to this as they hear it. That's helpful for me because I, I can tend – well, I don't think I'm alone in this. I can tend to get judgy and presume about it my spouse's emotions or my mm-hmm. daughter's emotions or mm-hmm. parishioners and that they're feeling sadness the same way I would, or they're yes. feeling anger. And mm-hmm. I hear you saying, just, we should back that up. But also, I wonder what you think, you know, in our, in our opening message on emotions, I referenced, uh, I think it's a somewhat famous landmark study by Dr. Paul Ekman, mm. where he did, uh, he, he this is some time ago, but mm-hmm. uh, he took uh, kind of pictures around mm-hmm. different cultures and showed people Uh, Even down in Papua New Guinea, where they would not have any kind of, you know, they'd be very isolated, I guess, they wouldn't be inputting anything in he found there was a universal experience mm. with, I think he had uh, seven universal facial expressions, mm-hmm. anger, fear, disgust, surprise, joy, and sadness. Mm-hmm. And I think, as I dug into it just a little bit, I think <laughs> some people added another one, some people don't agree with all, and that's mm-hmm. okay. But we even in service in real time threw up the original photos he used. Mm-hmm. And we just mm-hmm. had people say, well, what are you saying? And mm-hmm. by and large people, it was easy. It was just like, boom, that's mm-hmm. anger, that's fear. Mm-hmm. So- I think it would be true, yes, that we all manifest them differently and they're going to look differently. But there mm-hmm. is some commonality to emotions as well. Would you there agree? There can
1: be. Um, so in uh, Lisa Barrett Fieldman, she talks about how Ekman is more of the classical approach to emotions. Ah, uh, You're saying I'm wrong. I get uh, no, it. She's well, correcting me. I like uh, it. I like <laughs> it.
0: <laughs>
1: Not wrong. Just that... Uh, different perspectives <laughs> yeah, right yeah, totally. and so this is like getting real nerdy um and i definitely am not qualified to represent her point of view but her book is uh kind of showing that there's a classical view of emotions and she has what she would say a more constructed view okay. emotions which there isn't like this fingerprint mm. um and that's ekman would kind of say you know everybody every culture kind of has these core emotions and she's she shows in her book that there's studies that show that isn't true and there's um, errors in the way that they did some of those studies um, as well as, um, yeah, it, it it's just a different point of view.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's super helpful. I mean, that's, I'm I'm learning in real time and I think that I, yeah, that's a, I'm pulling from what you're saying. We should be careful ascribing yes. the emotions as we understand them and feel it mm-hmm. to someone else in a relationship. Yes, but, probably at the lowest common denominator there, there are some shared things along the lines definitely. however we might define them so definitely that's great that's really helpful let's let's get into i want to get into the meat of your book but i, I want to kind of uh, uh discuss emotions as it relates to discipleship but that's okay we're both yes. followers of jesus mm-hmm. we're in the church we've gone to bible school all this kind of things and again feel free to disagree with me i i i I think I've been impacted thinking along this line by uh, Pete Scazzaro, who's a mm-hmm. pastor out of uh, Brooklyn. and oh, yes. He, this like emotional, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, Emotional Health. I think he has like eight iterations now of it. I've, mm-hmm. I've lost track. Um, but we took a number of our people a few years ago, a couple hundred folks through the Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And it was really helpful to me mm-hmm. uh, individually. I can't speak for other people. I think it was helpful for them as well. But I don't want to misrepresent Pete, but I think he, in his journey— uh, grew up in a context where discipleship uh, focused a lot on intel- intellect, mm-hmm. spirituality, mm-hmm. Uh, social uh, constructs and relationships to one another. And even he would say physical stuff at times, you know, mm-hmm. keeping your body healthy and this and that. And he said it hardly ever touched on emotions. Mm-hmm. So as he tells his story, I think in his opening book, you know, he, he was in the pastor for a long time. Had a lot of success. And then I think my wife and I uncomfortably chuckled at this antidote. Uh, he was so emotionally unhealthy, his wife started going to another church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, I remember that that's story. A, that's yeah. a tough one, you know. <laughs> Which I really appreciated being vulnerable. And he just kind of said, I need to, you know, these other things aren't gonna matter as much if I'm not fully orb disciple. Mm-hmm. And part of being a fully orb disciple. Is attending to my emotions. Yes, and so I, again, I don't know if that's an accurate representation of, of Pete's work, but that's how I understood it. Um, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I've grown up all my life in church and uh, different iterations, but you know, we can. Everybody feels differently about using the word evangelical right now, but I think for you know it, it, the best definition of evangelical, I grew up in that type of church, mm-hmm. and man, emotions were just not touched on mm-hmm. hardly at all. I don't want to say. Mm-hmm ever cuz that's not probably true but largely mm-hmm. it was very much brain doctrine theology which please hear me listeners that's mm-hmm. very important we're mm-hmm. not saying that it's not um, we even had stretches where like you got to stay physically fit and you shouldn't be overweight to, you know or you got to get along with your neighbor all those things came in mm-hmm. um, but nothing on emotions so we yes. would have just and we see this throughout, right? We can Google and and just every day, there's another, it's another hot mess situation with another church imploding because somebody's misbehaving and being yes. a knucklehead in the name of Jesus. Yep. And I don't want to judge. I don't know their story, but oftentimes it's around abuse or trauma or anger or stuff that's unchecked. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? Mm. <laughs> I guess is my question. Yes. Can you solve that for us? <laughs> I, like, don't,
1: I don't know about solve that, but I do have some theories. Okay. Um. I, I also grew up in evangelical culture. And it's interesting because what I've observed, not just within evangelical culture, but the culture of America at large, is that we highly value happiness. And that is actually the emotion that people elevate to idolatry, I would say. And what's so interesting about that is that, you know, when you think of emotions just as feelings that kind of come and go, they're giving you information about your body. Trying to pursue happiness as a state of being is trying to chase after the weather. And so it's interesting that people who pursue happiness are often the most unhappy people.
0: Hmm.
1: And so in the field of positive psychology, they found that actually it's much better to pursue you know, well-being. And well-being is more about pursuing something beyond feelings. And pursuing meaning in your life, pursuing purpose. Um, So there's that aspect, I guess, that I think infiltrates in our culture is that we only want to be happy. And that, um, so then I do think that part of when we just pursue happiness, we also miss out on the wisdom and information that negative feelings give us. And I think, um, you know, when you're in a a culture that says, yeah, yeah. I only can feel joy, then what happens when you are wounded and you notice that, you know, in your family that there's dynamics that, you know, people don't want to talk about because it's not happy, it's not joyful, and it's really painful. And so I do think that when we just focus on these positive feelings, then it neglects a lot of our reality and we get very disconnected or, you know, a psychological term would say dissociated. Mm -hmm. Um, So we separate ourselves from our real lived experience, and then we become this ideal projected version of ourselves. And so I think that happens on very large scales, um, especially when you're a celebrity, right? You have this, like, persona of this is who I am to a lot of people. But behind the scenes, my real self is in a lot of pain. And, you know, we see that with a lot of celebrities that they really – are dealing with grief and relational problems. Um, They don't know how to manage those negative feelings. And so I I think, yeah, when we can look and try to see what are these negative feelings trying to communicate to me, they're often unmet needs. And um, the uh, psychologist Marshall Rosenberg, he has been really helpful in helping me understand that a lot of the negative things we feel are unmet needs, and how he would define needs um, are things like autonomy, celebration, connection, physical needs, play, um, and interdependence. And he breaks them down even more. But it's been really helpful to think about, okay, what do I need right now? And then exploring that. And that often can help us with, you know, the negative feelings that are signaling on our dashboard.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful going back to that dashboard imagery of, you know, some more feeling these negative emotions. <clears throat> what I'm hearing you say is not to default to like, I'm horrible, I shouldn't be feeling this way, mm-hmm. shame, but mm-hmm. use them as an indication of like, okay, what what's an unmet need? What is this yes. signaling in my life or in my relationship or in my career? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really helpful. And I, I yes, yeah, as, as you were thinking, maybe you're, you didn't say this, and please correct me if you didn't, but like, I, I, that really resonates with me on the happiness thing, both in secular culture, but it seems like that's totally permeated the church. Yes. Sadly, you know, yes. it, it shouldn't be, but, mm-hmm. you know, so in, the, you know, again, I'm caricaturing it, I should be careful, but in, you know, our Western culture, God has largely been removed uh, and, and, I always tell our church if I wasn't a Jesus follower, I'd be a nihilist. I don't see there's a lot in between. Mm. <laughs> I just I think that that is the meaning that the existence of God, a loci outside of ourselves that is that is giving us meaning and morality for that. So so it seems like without God, there is this kind of eat, drink, and be merry, you know, <laughs> just pursuit of pleasure and happiness. Hedonism. Yes, that doesn't have a healthy place for negative emotions. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense from that. But then it makes it made me really sad when I'm like, oh. Like, that's totally how we as followers of Jesus are doing church, too. Yes. And like, yes. oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like we would it, well it could be a missional opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Augustine that said the church should be a hospital. And so there's an aspect of, like, being able to be a safe place for people mm-hmm. to express anger or mm-hmm. sadness or grief or doubt, yes. you know, all these things where it's like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And what might that be? What I hear you saying is what might that be pointing to that's mm-hmm. under the surface, a deeper question.
1: Definitely. You use the word shame, which I think is a feeling that nobody likes. Um, you know, it's just, we often get flushed or for me, I usually get yeah really hot and just want to kind of just go inward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, it's easy to, to when that you know comes up on our dashboard to be like oh I don't want to look at that that's like our natural instinct right but the thing that I've realized about shame is that it invites us to get curious about what is the lie that might be there that's fueling the shame because it's often a lie I don't think God feels shame and when we see shame entering in it's after Adam and Eve you know make, make the poor choice to live by their own wisdom um, and then they see that, they look at themselves, and they see their nakedness. And so shame, I think when it often flares in my life, is now I can ask myself, okay, what is the lie that I might be, you know, living into right now and believing, and oftentimes, it's not conscious in the moment. And so that's what's the beauty of, that's the beauty of shame is that it signals to me, um, I need to pay attention and do some digging and figure out what's going on here. Um, And yeah, so shame, even though it doesn't feel good, it, it has its value.
0: Yeah, yes, uh, I'm, I'm always trying to work with our church and certainly wanna do that on this podcast of like, what are practical things we can do, right? I don't want, I don't want this to just be, you and I, I mean, I'm really enjoying this, but <laughs> talking about it and people like, that was interesting and going on with their lives. But mm-hmm. personally, I'm reflecting like, your idea of dashboard is really helpful, I think in a discipleship motif. So when we're feeling the emotions, be it a classic air quote negative emotion or positive mm-hmm. or how we want, it. like what am I feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, why am I feeling that? What's mm-hmm. happened? And then might there be kind of a, a soul need, a heart need that's underlying this, this, this pushing? But I mean, even the mm-hmm. shame thing—that's super helpful practically. So if you're out there and listening to this, I mean, we all. Experience shame. I think I think that yes. is a universal experience. Increasingly so. I know mm-hmm. Brene Brown, popularly, has written about it. Yes. A lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Thompson. I don't know if you know yes. his work. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate his book on shame. But yeah, what a what a read. I guess audit would be a helpful step. But yeah, what is that lie? That's really practical. I love that. Um, that I might be believing that's causing me to feel this way. That I don't think that in uh well push back if you think this is wrong but you know as we're redeemed by the gospel i think god is taking us out of a place of shame Mm -hmm. into a place of being the beloved yes and not feeling that but we're probably none of us and you may get there way before me but none of us are going to get there before face to face right Mm -hmm. so we're gonna wrestle with these things along the way yes especially in a world that seems to manifest shame and use it as a tool Mm -hmm. so yeah when you're feeling it listeners what's and you you'll probably feel today i know i will mm-hmm. um i think I, I think it was Brene brown that said when you feel shame you feel it in your body somewhere yes right And like it i always feel it's like right in my like upper abdomen it's like mm-hmm. this kind of sinking feeling that i've like i wanted mm-hmm. to kind of disappear yes um what's
1: what, definitely the instinct right it is, is to disappear it's, it's... and so we talk about in our book about how shame even though your instinct is to withdraw is that you kind of have to think of it as like um, confronting a bear. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a saying, actually, Ben, our mutual friend, talked yeah. about how certain bears that you need to get bigger, right? And mm. you just like get really in their face, even though your instinct is to run. And that if you run, that would make them chase you. And so that's like the wrong thing to do. Um, and so I think with shame, it's the same thing. We might have the instinct to hide and to ignore, but really what we need to do is face it. And that does take courage because we're not feeling like facing it and we don't feel like bringing it into the light. Um, But I do think that's the beauty is that um, darkness is where shame really festers. And so when we don't tell people, hey, yeah, I feel really stupid right now, um, that oftentimes it just festers there. But when, you know, often when you tell a friend, yeah, I've said this really dumb thing. They're like, oh, yeah, totally. Me too. Me too. And there's something about bringing just that into the light that really just takes away the power of shame, and um, but it's the opposite instinct.
0: That's a good uh, yeah. Shout out to Ben if you're listening, uh, our mutual <laughs> friend. We, we went we go backpacking together, you know Ben well, and we were in Glacier National Park this this uh, summer. So we were thinking about bears a lot as we were <laughs> out there. And as as you will know, Ben fishes in Alaska every year, so he has lots of bear encounters and. Uh, yeah, that's a helpful analogy. Shame is a bear; gotta face it down. Uh, don't don't disappear and run. That's more dangerous, even though that's instinctual. Yes, <laughs> that's, I think yes. Ben told me a story about getting charged by a large grizzly once mm. in Alaska. And he knew he shouldn't run. He said he just ran. <laughs> yes, it's like I mean, it's like yes, of course you're gonna run this large, you know, uh, grizzly chasing you. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a very visceral image. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's get into your book a little bit. Again, highly recommend it. Um, it it's it's a really easy read, and that it, that's not in any way to to mm-hmm. belittle mm-hmm. its depth because there's a lot of depth there as well. But I really appreciate it. I think a, a book on emotions, people look at the cover and it's daunting. You're mm-hmm. like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, how much of the DSM are we going to get into, and <laughs> this and that. and, and But I, I thought both, you know, you telling your stories a lot and being vulnerable, the way it's laid out, uh, th- there's a lot of handholds, there's a lot of practical stuff. So thank you. Well, I think it's a gift. You. And I really, if you're out there listening and you're like, I don't know where to start, but I want to read more on emotions, I think this book, Why Emotions Matter, would be a really great place to start So I primarily, uh, for the rest of our time, want to talk briefly uh, in your opening chapter, and then I know you expound on them uh, throughout, you talk about uh, six aspects of emotions. Mm. Um, I don't know how I'm trying to find the exact place that you frame them. Oh, Um, like kind
1: of reasons why they're valuable?
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Let's see. uh, We'll explore six major ways emotions help us lead enjoyable and healthy lives. This is reasons we believe everyone should value emotions. So it seems like this is a central thesis of the book. You know, like <laughs> this is this is why you should read this book and explore. This is why <laughs> emotions matter. Essentially, as seems like what you're saying. I don't want to simplify the answer, but I thought it was it was helpful for me and kind of you know the hope in this interview is just to give a brief overview for people because I think most people just have not explored emotions much mm-hmm. and they're stymied by it and they're mm-hmm. nervous about it. So Makes I thought sense. I thought these were helpful to me. So uh, I don't want to, you know, you, you wrote the book probably a long time ago. So I'll, I'll just throw these things out and anything you want to say about them that would be helpful. That'd be great. The first is uh, emotions are valuable and help us uh, lead an enjoyable and healthy lives because they connect us with others. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, this happened last night. Um, So, you know, John and I have been on quite a journey with emotions and it was just interesting because last night I was feeling really, I was feeling a lot of heaviness just about, um, you know, things that I read in the news and then hearing stories about people that we know and just really tragic situations and so I was telling John about that and it was just so helpful because as I'm telling him about, you know, just uh, how sad I feel about the ways that we self-sabotage and the choices that humans make mm. that hurt other humans um i started to cry and and he started to tear up too mm. and it was just so amazing because i think it just reflected just our growth together that we could both be sad together and um yeah we just you know tearing up thinking about but um it was just really connecting and i think that it's just it's a beautiful thing that um he was there with me in, in my sadness. Hmm. And that just was a lot of growth um, since uh, the beginning of our marriage. And, um, it didn't take away the pain, but I think it kind of just showed me how God is with us, Hmm. um, that he promises that he'll be with us in our pain, even though he might not be able to take away our pain.
0: Thank you for sharing that story. I really appreciate that. And again, I I know John a little bit getting to know you, but I, I don't know much about your relationship other than what you shared in the book. And Again, an encouragement to listeners out there: uh, If you're in a marriage or relationship or a friendship, relationships are hard. They're just hard work. Mm-hmm. And I think increasingly in individualistic society, we just want to bail. It's just it's mm-hmm. just easier to open up Netflix or and if you have any kind of means or wealth, that it's a lot easier. And um, but I think a lot of what I hear in the heartbeat of your book is this is worth it. It's worth mm-hmm. it's worth the struggle, and you guys are illustrating that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure it took. Lots of therapy, lots <laughs> yes. of years, to get to a point uh, where that was an instinctual moment for both of you, for you to feel safe enough to mm-hmm. share what you're feeling, and for him to to not have to try to come in and fix you or give you an answer or be the brain on the stick, but just yes. to be with you. Yes, and definitely. And so that's uh, uh, John Ortberg. Uh, you may be familiar with him. Um, he he talks about bids for intimacy, mm-hmm. and I really I really love that idea. Yes. Um, and I'm trying to watch for it in all my relationships, uh, with my daughters, with my wife, with mm-hmm. uh, people in our church, because uh, mm-hmm. we give those signals, and they're kind of steps of courage, right? They, and and mm-hmm. you got to watch for them because they're depending on the personality, you don't always mm-hmm. catch them. But I yes. was thinking emotions in, in some ways are bids for intimacy. When we're courageous enough mm-hmm. to tear up around someone or to share something vulnerable, or even and and again, I always want to address. Uh, abuse and trauma, these things, not when someone's using their anger to abuse you, that's yes. never a good thing. Mm-hmm. But in a healthy relationship, sometimes getting frustrated and being safe enough to show it in an mm-hmm. appropriate way, I think is a bid for intimacy too. Definitely. And uh, I've, I've often, because I grew up like running away from anger, so when my wife who can, can, can uh, be emotional like all of us can be, and, and at times it manifests in, in an angry interaction from both of us, For the longest time, our typical reaction was just to distance ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. You just – and sometimes you need that, right? Sometimes that's healthy. (laughs) But I think increasingly I'm trying through the grace of God to be like, oh, maybe that's not about me. Maybe it is. Mm -hmm. But she's showing some courage Mm -hmm. to being able to show her emotions. And if Mm -hmm. I walk away, she'll be less prone to do that next time yes I,
1: anger is definitely the hard one it um is the hard one. <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like i'm needing to practice that with my boys and john and i have to practice that with each other and one thing that was helpful that um a therapist said uh is just to see anger as this person has an unmet need hmm. Yeah, that's what this anger is about and so It's just what's so difficult is that it's intense. It's like this fire, right? And we feel the heat. And sometimes it's just too much for us. And so we do need to step back. But as long as they're not being hurtful in their words or their behavior, um, just the intensity of what they're feeling is there for a reason. And so when we can um, recognize that it's not just about a person trying to upset us, that they're really, there's something that they, they need and they don't have. Um, it can help us put us more in that compassionate state.
0: Hmm. There, there you go. There's another practical step. Listeners, um, again, going back to the using emotions as the barometer, you know, shame, what, what lie are we, are we hearing anger. And that's, it's a hard one. You know, I, 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 I get defensive, you know, that's mm-hmm. my response. Mm-hmm. And, and my me therapist too. is working with me on like, well, maybe it's not about you. Yes. You know? Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. And, uh, exactly. Where's your identity at all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other topic. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's helpful because obviously most of the time, not all the time, you know, on the highways or whatever, but most of the time we're experiencing anger with someone we know, right. And someone we we're we're in relationship with often. Mm. And, uh, if it's healthy, we we love them, and and so to ask, oh, what what's an unmet need? It may be a need that I can't meet, or maybe it can be. But mm-hmm. like the to to take anger as a as a road to compassion, I really like that. That's mm-hmm. helpful. All right, so uh, connecting with others. So that's that's why we have to talk about emotions. If we don't. Then we're going to be uh, severely inhibited mm-hmm. in our ability to connect with one another, and probably yeah. the depth of intimacy in our relationships. There'll mm-hmm. be a there'll be a ceiling on it that's pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, so, second one, uh, connection with God, which is you know, this is the series we're in, and mm-hmm. we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about that. Um, but the, there is a whole theological system. Uh, impassibility that says that God has no emotions, which I obviously totally agree with, disagree with, because we're <laughs> doing a series on God, the emotions of God. Um, but I think, you know, even when people say, yeah, I, I, God's emotional, um, but they it, they put it in wonky ways where he really isn't. Mm-hmm. He's emotional, but not really, you yeah. know, and that, that our uh, actions, I think this is another thing, just getting into the text in this series. Uh, the, our actions and the way we interrelate with God affects God's emotions. Yes, and that is just such a powerful thought. It and, is, and I know if you grew up and you are like on the far end of Calvinism, maybe you wrestle <laughs> with that. And like, but I, you know, I think even for my Calvinist friends, they would they would agree that that's true. Um, that's really in this series begun to enliven and complicate. I really shift God to be honest. Mm. you know, cuz I think when you grow up a certain way of like God's just kind of way up there doing His God thing and mm-hmm. kind of drops down into my world when I really need help and mm-hmm. and uh but no, God is like like a friend in in it every day with us, walking with us and feels all these emotions based on how we're living and choosing mm-hmm. and what a powerful thing. I've gotten, mm-hmm. from, from some people that are reading uh, David Lamb's book, and I think I referenced that at the top, um, The Emotions of God, we, we do these things called Big Read in our church. So we got a couple hundred people reading this book, And mm-hmm. but I'm getting random texts from people and stuff like that, like, this book's kind of blowing my mind, I don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I take that as a good sign as a mm-hmm. pastor, because I think they're being pushed to think about things in a new way, which I mm-hmm. think and hope and pray mm-hmm. for all of us will open up new depths of relationship with God. But yeah, where where do you think about this? You know, you know, Obviously, this is number two on your list of why we have to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about the emotions of God.
1: Yes, I, I think what's so difficult is that we have so many experiences with humans where they don't use their emotions with wisdom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so then we project that on God. Yeah. Like God being angry, and we, we picture the person who yelled at us and said profanity at us. Um, but I think the difference, though, between God and humans is that when God has emotions, you know, the, inter- the internal self of God is good, right? Mm-hmm. Where for humans, our internal self, the thing that we're not a- aware of oftentimes, is sometimes we're believing lies or we have, um, you know, just uh, selfish motives uh, um, in us or revenge, things like that. And so, you know, our emotions reflect that, um, Where I think if God is at the core, God is love and God is good, the the emotions that are coming out of that, um, you know, I would want God to feel um, angry if he actually loves me. I would want God to feel angry if somebody is hurting me. And so to have God moved is such a powerful image um, because that means we don't have a God that's a robotic, Mm -hmm. you know, removed, um, stoic being. We have a God that that says that He's like a parent, um, He's like a mother, He's like a father to us. And when I think of that metaphor, um, you know, I love my kids so much, and there's times when I'm really angry at them mm-hmm. because what I see that they're doing is hurt, gonna hurt themselves. Yeah. Um, and so, in that aspect, um, anger is a natural response of love. Um, but what we do with it you know, as a parent, I know I don't always make the right choice, because sometimes my anger more has to do with, you know, me wanting to uh, protect how other people perceive me, than I'm actually thinking about the greater good for my child. Um, And that's where things get really murky with humans.
0: Yeah, um, that's really, really helpful. And I I totally agree. And, um, you know, in the opening message, we tried to our best uh, to to address people who um, have experienced trauma at the hands of mm-hmm. religious folks and professionals in church, and it's we can say, "Hey, you know, we're all broken. We don't represent God," but that's really hard mm-hmm. to differentiate. Yes. And so I think I to speak for both of us and just say that breaks both of our hearts. I'm sure you um, y- you spend a good amount of time with people that that's part of their journey, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but to then when we begin to talk about God's emotions, you can feel it in the room. Like people are nervous about it. Right? Yes. Because people are like, it's, it's very vulnerable, especially as we chose to follow the the, the trajectory of the book. And, and David chose to to do kind of the more of the the, the negative, for lack of a term, that, that's probably not even good because I hear you say they're not negative always, but, you know, sadness, anger, hate, those kind of things. So, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like, whew, here we go. You know, mm-hmm. and people are experiencing that. But one of the, the guardrails we gave at the beginning, and you mentioned it, um, was that God is good. Yes. And and people can t- or disagree that God exists, that God's good or not good. I understand all that. But as we look at scripture, uh, you know, the, the Hebrew word is tov. God is good. It's mm-hmm. right there at the beginning. And throughout, we'll pronounce God as we may not understand it all. We mm-hmm. may not see the full picture. But I think that is a helpful boundary marker as we get into this that, you know, I had uh, Dallas Willard once said that, everything in our life that is good comes from god everything that's not good does not come from god he's mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it is a step of faith to mm-hmm. adopt that paradigm for how mm-hmm. we enter into a relationship with god mm-hmm. and so i think if we can look at these emotions that god clearly displays and we're doing our best in the series it, you can go and listen to them and judge if you think we are or not on, you know, talking about the hate of God, the anger of God, the sadness of God, the jealousy of God. These are complex topics mm-hmm. uh, wrought with tension. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're housed within this idea that God is good, mm-hmm. then I think it we can lend our ear to it uh, with, with a little more audacity. So mm-hmm. I really—that's very, very helpful. So, um, all right. So number three is uh, handling— inner wounds. So again, these are the six reasons uh, why uh, emotions matter and why kind of entering into a deeper discussion experience of our emotions can lead to healthy and flourishing lives. So handling inner wounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk to us about that.
1: Well, I think as a therapist, uh, one thing that's been helpful is the framework from Francine Shapiro, uh, who um, invented EMDR. uh, This That's the
0: left-right, left-right thing? the process
1: of helping people process trauma, unprocessed trauma. Um, And that, you know, she she talks about how there's little T traumas and there's big T Mm -hmm. traumas. And oftentimes we think about the big T traumas, um, like abuse and uh, natural disasters, but the accumulation of small T traumas can also have just as big of an impact. And so a small T trauma could be like... um, being, uh, let's say, you're you're sad and somebody dismissing your sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens over and over and over again in a family. That that can st- start to have such a big impact for you that when you start to feel that sadness coming on, panic might start to set in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might have anxiety that anyone would ever see you feeling sad. And so um, emotions help us to... Um, signal unprocessed wounds, oftentimes in panic and fear. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's one of the things that I've found um, EMDR being so helpful with is when people have these overwhelming feelings of anxiety or um, fear that when we you know do the process at EMDR or some other tools as well, oftentimes they find that there is a number of, of wounds that they don't necessarily have on the top of their mind, but they remember Mm. happening. And when you take that time to be introspective and go back, it starts to all make sense. Um, so, uh, I have a story in our book about a woman who, uh, was sexually abused by her brother. And when she came to see me, um, We're at a process in our therapy where she talked about how she would just have anxiety about a clean house, and that just didn't make any sense to her. And people in her community were so great. They would come to her house, and they said, you know, we'll help you clean, which was so beautiful, Um, but it just gave her too much panic, and it just on the surface didn't make any sense at all. And so we did the process of EMDR with her, and she was able to identify um, that the earliest time she remembers feeling this panic was when she was really young and she would hide under her bed and hide from her brother. And underneath her bed was all the dirty clothes and all the dirt and, you know, and it made her feel safe. And so she created this mem she had this memory of safety being around clutter and trash and dirty laundry. And it wasn't a conscious it wasn't on the conscious part of her mind as an adult, but it was imprinted into her body as safety equals clutter and dirt. Mm. And so when she was able to kind of process that and realize that keeping those things around was an old way to try to make her feel safe, um, that she was was then able to let go and realize that, oh, this was an old coping mechanism that was during a very scary time made me feel better. But now as an adult, I can recognize that clutter and dirt isn't necessarily going to help me feel safe.
0: There's that, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, I think, but there, you may have heard of a movie called Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. I don't mm. know if you're, you know. Oh, so. yes,
1: I know that movie. I'm not. So, uh, yeah,
0: you may remember this familiar. scene I haven't seen it in many, many years, but there's a scene where two characters have a sword fight and, uh, and the one guy, you know, it's kind of cartoonish, but he begins to like dominate him in the sword fight and like he's cutting off his limbs and his legs so it's you know the first one the leg comes off and he's just kind of openly bleeding so the guy turns to walk away like it's over and he's like where are you going coward you know and he's hopping on like one leg mm. and he's like really like you want to continue to fight And he's like yeah. and so then he chops off the other leg And by the end he has no arms and no legs and he's still with his torso hopping up and down threatening the other person hmm. and it's kind of a, a a humorous scene as you watch it but I feel like that—that's how a lot of us do life, right? We've got these gaping wounds mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that we're not addressing, and that I think oftentimes, not always, people in our lives see,
1: like, mm-hmm. "Whoa,
0: like that's a nerve," you know, mm-hmm. like, "Don't mention this around that person," you know, <laughs> those kind of things. Which don't gossip. I'm not affirming that in any way, shape, or form. But I, I think that the idea of wounds again maybe use your barometer illustration, can be yet another sign. Like, mm-hmm. okay, there's something here. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm extra reactionary to this thing. Yes. What is going on here? Why mm-hmm. do I, I – I don't want to throw around the word trigger because I know it can be used <laughs> lots of different ways, but why am I, for lack of a term, triggered by this? Yes. Um, I, I think
1: that is an appropriate way to use the word trigger. Okay.
0: So, uh, yeah, yes. I mean, in my therapy, I was just recently, um, you know, just – with the Lord just processing in my in my life and I don't think of myself as an angry person. I don't think anybody that does life with me would necessarily think of myself as an angry person. I, I think of myself as controlled and all these kind of things. You can probably see where this is going. And then and, and I realized just in prayer, I read this quote somewhere and and it used the word resentment. Mm. And I was like, I think I'm struggling with resentment.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: literally was walking the dogs when I came to this illustration and I googled resentment. I'm like, what does that word mean? Mm. And it means to feel again and again and again, really permeating around anger and Mm. kind of bitterness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't speak for every pastor or every human of the last uh, five or seven years. It's been a rough one, right? It's kind Mm -hmm. of been like going through that car accident where you get through it and you're alive and you're like, okay, I'm going to check my body. (laughs)
1: Like, how am I doing? Mm -hmm.
0: And I just think that that's a really... Helpful practice in community with mm-hmm. a therapist, with a pastor, with a spiritual director.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How am I doing? Where where are the wounds? And and mm-hmm. so my last therapy session, he's like, "What's going on?" I said, "I think I'm I think I'm struggling with resentment." He's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, he's like, let's talk about mm-hmm. that." Mm-hmm. And it's been really helpful to uncork some things mm-hmm. in my heart and uh, things that I had a blind spot for and I didn't see. Mm-hmm. That I think in doing that work will I think make me a healthier person mm-hmm. as opposed to just not. Just ignoring that that emotion was there Mm -hmm. or masking it over.
1: Yeah, I love that you shared that. Um, And even in your Monty Python example, it's interesting because I do think sometimes, you know, when you're the type of person who's maybe positive or you can endure, you have strength, um, you don't take offenses easily, um, that has a a high side, but it can also have a low Mm -hmm. side, right? And so, like, just like that body, like he just kept going. And he was just a stump, but he just kept going. And I think, you know, oftentimes we think, oh, the person that endures, they're the that's the best strength that you could have. But there is a possibility you could be enduring something that you don't need to, and it's actually not good for you. Yeah. And I think when it comes to, you know, relational problems, just grinning and enduring and bearing it m- might not be the wise thing to do. Um, yeah. And so, uh, I, yeah, I do think that, it's, it's interesting because sometimes our strengths can be the very thing that um, can hinder us from even acknowledging the wounds that we have.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. All right, uh, number four, uh, this is a big topic, obviously, uh, working through compulsions and mm. addictions. So mm-hmm. how does, how does uh, our journey with emotions intersect with our compulsions and addictions?
1: Uh, well, with addiction, um, you know, if you look at, at addictions, it's often ways that we abuse ourselves, mm. right? Yep. They're not things that we look at and we're like, yep, keeping, you know, drinking this much is going to be good for my liver or spending this much is going to be good for my long-term uh, retirement plan. Um, so when it comes down to emotions, that they found that when people are aware of their emotions, they're, again, I think recognizing the needs of their body. And so when you're drinking, um, you're pretty much numbing what you're feeling, either emotionally or physically. And so um, when people stop drinking, there's a lot of emotion, they find that there's a lot of emotions there that they've been ignoring. And, um, but it's a coping strategy that um, can feel easy, right? It's a lot easier to use a substance than it is to explore Um, relational pain that you have with, you know, your parents. Um, And so I do think that uh, goes back to why we need community is that I don't think people work, you know, when you're working through relational pain, I don't think you're meant to really do that alone. And um, so when people are isolated, it is a lot easier to do it alone by numbing um, than to going back to acknowledging the complexity of relationships and the pain that we feel that we're in when, when we can be in them.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, with addictions, uh, you know, some people have a predisposition and there's brain stuff going on and all that. And I, I know that we, we would we would both agree on that. And there's different levels as there are with trauma. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really, again, keeping going back to the same illustration of, of the barometer of like when we see – you know, some things maybe clear addictions, but maybe we don't see them as clear addictions. But asking people in our life, asking safe friends, but maybe we're we'll reflective when we see like, oh, I'm drinking a lot more than I used to, or I'm eating a mm-hmm. lot more, or um, you know, pornography, or watching tons of Netflix, or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on there? I think we often don't bring our emotions into that. Why? Why am I? What am I numbing? Mm-hmm. Like, what emotion am I numbing? -hmm. Why is that? You know, Mm -hmm. just I think, you know, one of the things I'm pulling from this talk today is it feels like you're challenging us to be more reflective Mm -hmm. and to dig a little deeper, to ask that next level question Mm -hmm. and not stay at the surface question. And and if you're in healthy relationships, to do that in community, Mm -hmm. to be able to ask the friend that you love that maybe hard extra question. Mm -hmm. On our staff, we call that going the extra, the last 10%, because a lot of, you know, you share the first 90% often pretty easily. But it's that last ten percent where the where the action is, right? And sometimes it's not safe or appropriate to. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in 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 my coaching and my relationships with people on our staff, I'm like, is that all? Mm-hmm. Is there something else, you know, mm-hmm. that you want to share? And um, so yeah, I think around uh, a, a, yeah, I mean, we we talked about just going through the Lent season. You know, we're trying to practice the church calendar more faithfully at New Hope and. So we we celebrated Lent together, and one thing the followers of Jesus do is fast. You know, mm-hmm. um, and not everybody does it, but I think it's a, fasting is a helpful spiritual practice for me because I think it can reveal oh yes addictions and compulsions. So mm-hmm. I I fasted alcohol for Lent, and you know I don't think I have a, a problem with alcohol, but are there times that I might want to have that extra glass of wine after a tough day, and is that the right thing? And so mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let's let's just cut it out see what happens it, it was a really good journey for me to i was able to feel those points at which i may normally have a glass of wine and, and not that that's inherently wrong mm-hmm. uh, i don't i don't think that it is uh, a, for some people maybe but not for everybody but for me it was a really helpful practice mm-hmm. of fasting that for you know the the for the period of lent it allowed me to grapple with my emotions more cleanly mm-hmm. and to have a better handle on them as i emerged mm-hmm. um so yeah you're yeah. A-
1: For me, um, I've noticed like scrolling is definitely
0: Doom like, scrolling.
1: The, not even doom scrolling, <laughs> usually distracting myself on Instagram or something. Um, you know, just all the fun, like silly things yeah. that you can start to watch, which feels good, but then I still walk away and I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling kind of anxious and then realizing, oh, yeah, I'm there's something else that is going on that I'm not paying attention to and it's either I can it's just easy to go to, you know, Instagram or watch a show and then but after that's done, that feeling is still there. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, sometimes yeah, life we can't always be addressing what's going on internally, but I think it's just important that we don't, you know, completely neglect it because oftentimes it will it will build up. And it will reveal itself.
0: Uh, so number five is supporting physical health. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to hear what you say, have to say about this. But in my own experience, I mean, this is the one that just I was like, oh, yeah. And I think growing up in in a family, a great family, love my parents. But growing up in a family where we probably didn't do emotions great. Growing up in church settings, we probably didn't do emotions great. Um, I was probably a a victim of kind of (laughs) quasi-Gnosticism that I was kind of, you know, separating my spirituality and my health from my body, and I tend to, like, get not in my shoulders. That's where I've started to, as I realize my body, I'm starting to get, like, you know, Mm. I can feel when I'm feeling stress, Mm -hmm. like, whoa, like, I may, if you may say, hey, how's your day going? And I may just lie and say, it's great, you know, Mm -hmm. but then I've got these massive knots in my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, And I almost, as as our church knows, I almost had a heart attack four years ago. Mm. And so I was, I had to rush to the ER and yeah, I think I have heart disease, you know, and those kind of things. I think that's truthful, Mm -hmm. but I'm confident that the way I carried myself within a very stressful time trying to rebirth at church, not being emotionally healthy not always dealing with the stress in the right way, exasperated it. Mm. And so I'm a big believer in this one. When I saw that, I was like, oh, amen, yes. <laughs> uh, what more could you tell us about, about that one?
1: Um, well, this is where I thought was interesting, You know, growing up um, in a Japanese-American family that we didn't really talk about emotions very much, but my family did value taking care of your body. Mm. And one thing I've noticed that's different about Eastern medicine versus Western medicine is that Eastern medicine tends to be more investigative on, you know, why are you feeling what you're feeling? Maybe it's what you're eating. Are you moving? What's the type of food that you're eating? Rather than with Western medicine, oftentimes they'll see here's the here's the medication that you have, and there isn't really a lot of, um, you know, guidance given to uh, how are you sleeping? What are you eating? Are you moving your body? And so. Um, you know, the language of emotions is really helpful. Um, but it is interesting also just thinking in terms of like what your family of origin is and how do they view taking or not taking care of your body? Um and yeah, it's just, you know, I can see the difference between uh, John's family of origin and my family of origin. Um when we were first married, John um just wasn't very aware of what he ate and how it affected him. And I just remember one time he came down to visit my family and he was like, oh man, I'm so tired. I just feel so out of it. I feel horrible. I'm like, well, what did you eat? And he ate like five donuts and coffee. And <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't have that connection, you know, that food affects your emotions and how you feel. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I think just going back to emotions give us information about our body and whether or not we have um the language of feelings um it might not guide us to like the relational dynamics and um mental uh, like constructs that we have but if you are taking care of your body it, it, it does help with a lot of the work of giving you more emotional resilience
0: yeah i was going to ask about that because like i think it goes both ways right so like uh i mean just exercising, staying in shape, mm-hmm. and eating healthy and being mm-hmm. well, I think, in my experience, positions me better to yes. grapple with my emotions in a healthy way. Yes. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I've—I I've, mean, you hear that. I—I mm-hmm. um, I was I'm over here googling this article, but I—I I can't remember where I read it the other day. But you mentioned EMDR, and and if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know what that is. Google it, and you know, I'm sure there's lots of information, bad information, and good out out there, but I'm a huge fan of what I know of it and how it's helped my friends and family. But this article was, uh, talking about how when we go for a walk every day, there is an EMDR aspect Mm -hmm. to it of the right, left, right, left. Mm -hmm. That is not at the same level and degree of what you would get you know, with a clinician or in therapy. Mm -hmm. But I was like, because I I walk my dogs a lot and I like to backpack and hike. And it is very, I find when I do it, it just clears my mind, clears my heart. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I think of the best things and the best thoughts, I'm most creative Mm -hmm. when I'm out just exercising or walking. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think there's is like again going back i think that's another theme of our discussion how important the body is and as it Mm -hmm. relates to our emotions i think a lot of people think about emotions and feelings they're out of body
1: yeah and Mm -hmm. i think that
0: that is just no like Mm -hmm. it's all together and fixed together in ways that we probably can't even articulate Mm -hmm. in a mysterious way
1: yes so in our book we talk about emotional health is being aware of these like bigger categories of, of our needs being our physical health, that we need relationships, that we need to you know guard our mind, figure out what we're thinking, and that spiritual, there are spiritual needs as well, and that all those aspects we need to pay attention to, mm-hmm. and that fosters emotional health, yeah. where emotional intelligence is more of that skill of being aware of the signals of your body and having the wisdom to know what to do with them.
0: Really quick side question. Do you think you can grow in emotional intelligence? And if so, how much? Definitely. Is there a ceiling on it? (laughs) Oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's where maybe EQ, it wasn't a great term that um, they use because, you know, most of the time IQ is fixed. Right. um, But EQ is a skill.
0: Yeah. That's good to hear. I think that gives hope for people. Um, And yeah, we didn't even, we don't have time to touch on that. You mentioned that in your book. I think that's a fascinating conversation as someone who who leads a team and leads a church and all that, I I think you said this. I've, I've been reading a lot about emotions, so maybe it was in another book, but I've begun to put much higher focus on emotional intelligence than even actual intelligence. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you want people with good IQ too, mm-hmm. right? And good skills, but mm-hmm. man, that if they if they have like super high skills and they're really smart and got mm-hmm. a lot of experience, but really low emotional intelligence, I'm mm-hmm. like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I have this that in me, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's something that I think, uh, and that leads I think. I, I didn't mean this, but I think that leads naturally to the last one. succeeding at work. Mm-hmm. And so um, talk about that. I mean, I've, I've seen that conversation in the business world, in the church world, emotional intelligence, emotional IQ, more than ever in the last 10 years. It seems to be mm-hmm. a whole new field people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And even in the business world, which most of just, they're trying to make money and sell things and be successful in that realm. But they found to be successful, this is a really important aspect that they have to give attention to. Mm-hmm. Like if their business or their team is a hot mess emotionally, yep. they're not going to be able to sell more tennis shoes or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. right? And we could certainly talk about that in the church world in another vein. But, yeah, talk to us about how emotions intersect with succession uh, succeeding at work.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, yeah, if you aren't really paying attention to your body, it's more likely you're going to burn out or um, – yeah, I think just make decisions that really don't help you in the long run. And then another thing is when you're also not paying attention to um, emotions or even respecting other people's emotions, then you're not going to have that build some like relational equity and be able to work in teams um, because you're just bulldozing over other people's, you know, feelings and desires. Um, and so that can also just make it where. Um, you can't get things done as well when you're not working well with other people socially. Um, so you can have really high IQ, but if you're not able to implement that, then is it really helping anybody?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's story after story after story in the sports world and the news media, a couple even recently about high-profile people losing their jobs and sometimes in a mm-hmm. shocking fashion. Mm-hmm. And as you pull it back, it's there is just... They were toxic emotionally, and the mm-hmm. culture they led was toxic emotionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for a while you can survive barely under that with really mm-hmm. gifted people and even crank stuff out. And, I mean, again, I, mm-hmm. my 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 expertise is more in the church world. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the you see a lot of that uh you know the the Mars Hill podcast that came out about the mm-hmm. rise and fall of Mars Hill and on and I don't want to pick on Mark Driscoll or whatever but I think you see those kind of stories about like high air quote success you know mm-hmm. undoubtedly I think the spirit of God moved and used that church in many good ways and positive ways and yet seems like undeniably as well as a toxic culture mm-hmm. emotionally
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think uh you know, you, you, we use that means to an end logic a lot, mm-hmm. you know, where the, and sadly in church, I see it more and more like mm-hmm. if we, you know, if we're going to win the culture war or mm-hmm. baptize more people, or if we are and the church is growing, mm-hmm. it's okay, they're a jerk. You mm-hmm. know, we just kind of turn away from it. Mm-hmm. And I increasingly just think that's BS for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. I yeah. think it's, you know, mm-hmm. the I heard, I heard somebody the other day say, uh, the means are the end mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? it's mm-hmm. like and I think mm-hmm. what we're saying is like we can be unhealthy in the name of Jesus and not give any attention to the inner workings of our heart, mm-hmm. and God will bless that if you know we help mm-hmm. expand the kingdom. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think that's so misguided, and mm-hmm. it makes God. Mm-hmm weird
1: (laughs) yes well the image that comes to my head is just thinking about the pharaohs right and and how they enslaved all these israelites to yes they built really cool pyramids and um, they're still standing today but is that what god intended for us and how he intended us to live i don't i don't think so right and so yeah trying to um yeah just think about the goals and what we can achieve isn't really thinking in terms of the way I think God wanted this world to be.
0: Yeah. So if you're out there and you're listening, you're leading an organization or part of a team and you have influence on the culture of that team, um, give attention to emotion. Buy this book for your team, Why <laughs> Emotions Matter, and read it and discuss it. Because I, I I can't think of one example that I'm aware of a really to- emotionally unhealthy, toxic culture that eventually didn't blow up, Mm. you know? And so when I hear about it and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll hear people like, I can't believe there's people who are doing this and this and this and they're having all this success. And I'm just Mm. like, just wait, Mm -hmm. you know, just, you say it was sadness, not like, Mm -hmm. like I don't want churches to blow up and this and that, but I Mm -hmm. I don't think it feels like a shortcut sometimes. And it feels like that it's justified because Mm -hmm. fill in the blank is happening. Mm -hmm. And I just, my opinion, if you're listening out there, I don't think that that's truthful. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we can shortcut our emotions and I think we're called by a God who is emotional mm-hmm. and expresses emotions in a very holy, beautiful, flourishing fashion, and invites us into that experience through the Spirit. That is the pathway towards flourishing mm-hmm. as humans in our family units, at churches, and businesses, and our neighborhoods and our workplaces. And so, again, I think this book is a huge gift uh, to the church and to business world and our culture. So, thank you, Tristan, for mm-hmm. writing it. I know mm-hmm. I have not thank you. yet written a book. I'm, I'm doing some doctoral work, and I don't know if that'll ever be in the cards, but I have lots of friends that write books, and it is no small feat, mm. and it takes well, a lot of work. I definitely
1: couldn't have done it without John and yeah. Melissa. Well, uh, Melissa is just a gifted writer, and she's the one who really helped give shape and uh, made it easy to read, even though there was just a lot of information and uh, complexities that we're trying to communicate. And so, yeah, I yeah. definitely... You know, can't really write. I could never write a book on my own because I actually am not a great writer. (laughs) But um,
0: well, thanks to you and Jonathan, your (laughs) husband, and and again, the vulnerability that you both shared. I I think I really appreciate that because I Mm -hmm. think that that gives uh, it opens up opportunities. I feel like that they can people can have honest conversations with friends, with spouses, with others, and Mm -hmm. explore. So that took courage on your part and on John's part. And thanks to Melissa for crafting a beautiful book and Mm -hmm. really encourage you to buy it and and read it. So as we close, um, I don't know, do you you know, I, I think people besides new hopers will maybe listen to this podcast in some form or fashion, but it'll be a lot of people from our church. That's the that's the heart behind it. Um do you have a word for our church on emotions, a challenge, a closing salvo that you want to leave uh, ringing in the air over our church. Um yeah.
1: Mm. Um Well I think like what you said that as you study the emotional god that it does make a difference if the foundation if you really believe that god is love and god is good yeah then the confusion about all the things in the bible um you kind of hold that tension of things that we don't understand and don't know if you believe that god is good
0: yeah there's that that great quote all is well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well um and something to that effect um but i i i tell our girls that almost every day when when i pray over them at night or send them into this kind of savage world mm. you know with fear and trembling some days um mm-hmm. and and uh that because of Jesus you know mm-hmm. and because we have a good god mm-hmm. that is set on making all things right mm-hmm. all all will be well all will be yes. well yes
1: yes and that god i think cares more than we do yeah <laughs> and yeah. I think that what I was picturing when I was crying last night with John is just, I just pictured God grieving Mm. at the state of the way humans can be and even, you know, my own self and the decisions that I make that I can make very self-destructive decisions and that scares me. Um, And I think, yeah, just that knowing that God is grieved even more than I'm grieved by humanity.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for your time, your expertise, your wisdom. I personally gleaned a lot from it, and I know that people mm-hmm. who are listening to the podcast have as well. And would you would you mind blessing us and just kind of saying a prayer over our little mm-hmm. uh, ragtag Jesus community in Southeast Portland, New Hope Church? I'd love to. Thank you.
1: God, you are both powerful and deeply compassionate like nothing we understand. Mm. Please change our vision to see what you see. Transform our hearts, our minds and bodies to be like Jesus. Mm. We ask for your wisdom to guide us in all of our different seasons of life and all our different needs. You see our pain, longings, fears, jealousy, grief, loneliness, confusion, and doubt, Hmm. and you promise you're with us. Help us to experience your comfort, your guidance, and your provision. We want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in the heavens. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks uh, for listening uh, to the podcast. And, uh, yeah, if you're interested in checking out the series, The Emotions of God, you can go to... uh, newhopepdx.org uh, and, and check out those messages uh, always welcome if you're in the Portland area to join us for worship if you don't have a, a community of Jesus followers already that you're involved in and I think that uh, this will be the first of, of several uh, podcasts to follow so thanks for joining us thanks again Tristan uh, blessings on you and your ministry and your family thank you All right, take care